Hello all and welcome back to Between the Cuffs. Last week we were discussing my personal intersection with disability and kink, and today we're going to be continuing that conversation but through the form of an interview this time. We're also going to discuss some other concepts we'll be circling back to later on in the season, and I'm really excited to get into all of this. I'm really happy with how everything is slowly starting to weave itself together in this season, and I hope that it makes as much sense in your brain as it does in mine. So let's just jump right on into the interview today. I would love if you could introduce yourself and then introduce yourself with anything you identify with and then provide a little bit of background information to who you are as a person. So my name is Azarus. I use he, they pronouns, meaning that both he, him, and they, them are correct. I like it when people mix them up. Um... I am a transmasculine, um, queer individual, not really sure what category of non-binary yet. Um, I'm also asexual and demi-romantic and pan-romantic. I'm also a kinkster who has been a part of the Colorado lifestyle for about 13 years. And within the kink world, I am a dominant-leaning switch that predominantly is a pet or handler or a caregiver or little and sometimes a middle. I am also a sadomasochist. Other things too. (laughs) Outside of that, I'm also an activist. I am very verbal about um, being disabled and making things more accessible, especially in the kink and queer world, seeing that there's a lot of focus on areas that are very high sensory rates, such as bars and similar, where they're not, accessibility is not really something that is talked about. So that's something that um, I talk a lot about with making things safer and more accessible. Um, I am also been a caregiver for about 17 years. I've worked with people with different disabilities ranging from newborns up to senior citizens. One of my big parts of being a part of the kink community here um, is that I run Glitter Queers, which is a kink group for um, people who fall under the queer umbrella, however they want to identify themselves as queer. We're not here to gatekeep or um, state who's queer, who's not. Um, And right now we just meet virtually, but it's something I've been doing for a couple of years now. Wow. Yeah. You certainly seem to be doing a lot in all the many facets of your community, which I applaud. That's really phenomenal. Um, thank you for sharing all that. It's it's really cool to see the level of involvement that you have and what's going on in the world around you. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned in your introduction that you were disabled for context for anybody who's listening. You know, I have a connective tissue disorder. I have a seizure disorder. I have a couple other physically disabling conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you're comfortable sharing, I would really love to start off by discussing what your disabling condition or conditions are. Um, So I have chronic pain, um, specifically connected to my my spine, shoulders, neck, and feet. This has come from a condition that I was born with, but also just being a caregiver for as long as I have. I have been physically harmed quite a bit. I have been body slammed. I have been headbutted. I have been hit. Um, And just lifting people and the stuff that I've done is definitely like 
worsened the condition that I like was born with. I am also um, have ADHD, PTS, and um, some other stuff that's connected to the ADHD. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that it can take some vulnerability to open up, especially in a public sphere about that. So I definitely want to honor that. And thank you for being open. Um, a question that came to mind, and this is based more on curiosity, but how would you say that your chronic pain intersects with your identity as a masochist or a sadomasochist? Do you feel that they kind of play into each other or would you say they're just totally separate? I think that a lot of my connection with masochism is connected to my chronic pain because I find that pain that I can control is very cathartic. Like living with chronic pain disorder, like you can't control it. Um, so getting to decide what kind of pain that I want to experience is a nice change from what my life is. Um, there's also just a lot of, like I find um, impact play specifically being very like enjoyable. And if we really think about stuff that we even do outside of the King community to treat pain, such as electric therapy, um, fire cupping, stuff like that, is just a natural way that we treat pain that doesn't even have a full connection to kink. Like you could definitely bring those things into the kink world, but we also see them outside of the kink world in our physical therapy offices, um, in gyms, stuff like that, that are treating um, people with conditions or even just people that maybe don't have a, dis uh, a a pain disorder, but they are swimmers, are football players, stuff that like their bodies could be, have a go through a lot of trauma just because of what they're doing. So using those things to treat those conditions and making sure that harm isn't done to the body. I think it was really interesting to note that you drew the correlation between some of these activities we use to manage and kind of treat chronic pain as being in the vanilla and in the kink sphere, respectively. I think that that was a really cool point that you just made, because you're right, we do a lot of these things, um, both in a medical sense and in a kink sense that happen to also intersect with a medical purpose. And I, I think that that's really interesting. So I'm really glad you pointed that out. Going off of how your masochism intersects with your chronic pain, I wanted to see how you say or how you would say your disability intersects with your kink life as a whole i think it affects a lot of it like you know our living you know living through the world as someone with a dis disability like it's going to affect every aspect of your world and kink is no different like there's there's definitely like kinks that i can't do like i i see people that have these pictures of you know huge, you know, huge bruises and, and stuff like that. And that's not something that my body would actually let me have. Um, so there's definitely just awareness that I have to be very clear with the people that I play with about like what my body can actually take and what to do <clears throat> if things go wrong, because things can go wrong, even if you, no matter how safe you're being, um, and just being more aware of medical care, stuff like that. And just, um, being like a lot of the conversations that I have with accessibility is that people being aware of like, hey, this is great that you have this little location, but it's not wheel wheelchair accessible, or you don't have enough seating, or you, um, you know, like I've had conversations about a, a, a group that I would love to go to. Like I would absolutely love to interact with this group. The few times that I've gone, it's such a welcoming and amazing group. 
but they they tend to have their um their meetings in downtown denver where there's like no parking mm, yeah and they're like, you know and they're like well there's handicap parking i'm like yeah but there's two handicap spots yep yeah. and like that's better than nothing but like unless you get there really early you're not you know you're not guaranteed this isn't a situation of oh you know like this is a situation of like this isn't a situation of oh that's not there so i'll just park somewhere else and i'll be fine this is a situation if i don't find close parking then i need to turn around and go home yeah parking is really rough that can be something that makes or breaks a kink experience for me like if i can't guarantee that i can be with with a reasonable walking distance to the event i just can't go because i can't i can't stand on my feet for more than like an hour or two max at a time um so I definitely hear you. Also, you made a point about how you see people who take these large bruises with impact play, and that's not something your body can do. I wanted to just kind of bring that back up because that's actually something I struggle with myself. And I still kind of challenge myself to withstand them. But when doing impact play specifically on my ass, for example, it sends a lot of impact to my lower lumbar spine, and that's really bad on my body, and, and it can fuck me up for days at a time. So I think it's it's good that you have such awareness, you know, with how you have to approach um, your practice. And talking about how you approach your practice, do you have any examples of any adaptations that you've made with your play in order for you to keep continue, like, uh, to keep continuing on with these activities? Um, I've learned like uh, the last Dom that I had, we talked to like, I like the um, the Gorean sleigh positions um, that are specific for kneeling and stuff like that, but none of them are something that I can physically do. So we came up with accessible ways for me to still have those similar positions that give that sense of submission and, you know, expectation without causing physical harm so finding what's like accessible um i've had um someone instead of doing kneeling they have you know instead of kneeling on the floor you kneel on a chair um so that that takes less pressure off my knees and then like having the back of the chair something that i could like lean into rather than being expected to stay postured up on my own having something that i can lean against helps um and there's having conversations about like positions that are comfortable instead of having expectations of standing while play being able to lay down or being supported on something to keep um, pressure off my feet rather than having all of my weight on my feet. Especially when you're like, your play, when you're playing, your focus is not going to be all there, making sure that there's something that's going to catch me if I lose my balance. As a top, it's, it is a conversation that like is kind of newer of, you know, tops with chronic pain. We hear a lot of people talk about bottoms, submissives, S-types with chronic pain or other similar seditions, but not having conversations about tops and dominance is like making sure that um, when I'm playing, I get a break. And 
expressing of like what like flogging is exhausting. <laughs> like it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But you're you're throwing, you know, like even a smaller flogger is gonna be heavy after a while. And you're lifting it up and you know, swinging it, making sure that I'm like moving around how I'm throwing it instead of doing the same position over and over again. And focusing more on learning as my brain has gotten worse, doing more um mental um sadism and masochism and using more sensuality rather than using implements but through touch through voice through interaction of finding that release that still gives that that joy but isn't as harsh on the body okay yeah no these this was all beautiful and they were fantastic examples of how you have adapted your practice to fit you and I am so glad that you mentioned how it looks for you as a bottom and as a top, because that's something I was actually going to ask is because you're right. People bring up more of a distinction with, with submissives and bottoms that have chronic pain, but we don't focus necessarily the same amount on tops and dominance, but there are people too, they still have chronic pain too. And dominant fatigue is absolutely a real thing. And then when you mix dominant fatigue with, with chronic pain fatigue, it becomes so much more complicated. So I'm really happy that you brought that up. Um, moving to focus on the community for a second, what are some ways you think we could improve to be better equipped to include disabled people in our kink space? And that could be like wheelchair ramps. It could be mentality. It could be anything. But I know there's room for improvement. And I would love to hear with your perspective what some things are in your mind. Having more conversation around accessibility doesn't just have to be a wheelchair ramp. Like <clears throat> that's that's great. Like like having more conversation about that is great, but it's not just that. You know, there's there's a whole level of accessibility that's not just wheelchair based because a lot of people are like, oh well, you know, like people will bring up, um, you know, one of the locations here that is wheelchair access accessible. Like you could get a wheelchair in, and I'm not sure how great it would work because i've yet to see it but i know that there have that the owner has gotten people in wheelchairs into the building access things stuff like that um and that's great and then people are like okay well then we're done and i'm like no like we have to talk about sound we have to talk about like space being you know so many people being in a small space and how that can be overstimulating to people we need to talk about how um, senses, you know, like smell, stuff like that. Like I've gone to a lot, lot of events where they'll allow people to use scents, like different smells, and then it gets overwhelming. And you're like, it's great to have music at these parties and stuff like that, but then you go in and the music's so loud that that's like overstimulating. And it's also like, in my opinion, a safety risk, because if you're so, you know, like if the music's so loud, you can't hear your partner, how are you supposed to pace, play safely with them? hundred percent. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it's nice to have a little atmosphere. Like, um, and we go out of the, the parties, but talking more about munches, stuff like that. Like we go, we have a lot of bar stuff. We have a lot of stuff that's focused on like areas where there's a lack of parking. So having more conversations of like, okay, how accessible is it? Is there a lot of parking? Are there handicapped spots? spots? Can people go, go in and not be overstimulated because there's a hundred different things going on? And there's just conversations that are not happening. And then there's also like when you do, like we, this wasn't a personal experience of mine, but a friend of mine told me about this, that they went to a party 
where there was a person with Down syndrome that was an adult that was there playing and a lot of people were freaking out because they thought that she was being taken advantage of. And, but this was someone who, you know, like, yeah, she had Down syndrome, but she was an adult. She could consent. She knew what was going on. She was understanding, but people immediately think that people specifically with that, with Down syndrome, autism, stuff like that, that's showing are child minded. And that's not the case in a lot of, so people need to be more open-minded and seeing that there's this vast variety of disability and vast variety of mentality and that just because someone is disabled doesn't mean that they're a child. I would love to focus on two really excellent points that you just made. The first one was at the beginning of your answer where you talked about invisible illness because a lot of times invisible illness goes unseen and it's important to bring up things like getting overstimulated, having having sense, having like a crowded room, for example, uh, music that's too loud. You know, I think that that's really important because as a society, we tend to focus on what we can see, you know, a person with a brace, a person with a prosthetic, a person with crutches or a mobility aid of sorts. And that's kind of where the field of vision stops. And as somebody who has a lot of invisible illnesses, that is really frustrating. And I know it's a very frustrating point in the community. So I'm really glad you said that. Um, and you brought up that people almost want to take a more uh retracted approach towards people like down syndrome autism great examples that you brought up and their people want to impose themselves almost from like a protection sphere and they're making a grand assumption that this person in that moment needs protection you know i have autism i <laughs> it presents itself very strongly and you're right that does not mean that i am just a child, you know, I am a grown adult, I can consent, I know my threshold, and what the people around me don't know is all of that, you know, they don't know me, they don't know my ability to withstand any activity, and I think that that's a really big problem, the imposition of our will onto others without consent, and so I'm really glad that you touched upon that. Um, personally, I have a hard time going to my local dungeon when they have uh, fusion nights. They're, they're nights where like mild drinking is allowed. And so the swinger crowd comes out and there's music bumping and the place is packed and people are drunk. And I feel so overstimulated that I actually can't go to these events anymore. So I just wanted to kind of applaud you for bringing up such, such excellent points in a very cohesive manner. That was really good. And I really hope that that can make a positive impact on somebody listening. Now, as far as addressing these things, how do you think that we as members in the community should go about this? Because like, I think it's locationally based. Sure. Like, let's say there's Dungeon A over here that has room for improvement. Is that us getting with the club owner and requesting to like have a club wide meeting? Like, what do you think we should do to make the change that we're seeking? I think like, yeah, reaching out and being like, hey, can we have a conversation? Can we talk? Because I think in most cases, places are willing to to open their minds it's just they need to hear it because people are like you know and i've this is a, you know talking about the intersectionality of, of in disability and the you know and the queer is like i've talked to to pride events i've talked to stuff like that about accessibility and they're like well no one's there so why do we need to do that i'm like we literally you need to do this because people can't go like you're not seeing them because they can't 
And I think that there's still kind of that mentality in the kink community too of like, well, we're not seeing anyone with a, in a wheelchair. We're not seeing people who are deaf. We're not seeing people who are blind. You know, we're not seeing people with Down syndrome. We're not seeing people, you know, with, you know, like higher levels of autism that are, be, are, are showing. We're not seeing people with higher levels of ADHD that are showing. You know, like, why do we need to be aware of this? And I'm like, you're not seeing it because it's not accessible. Just because you don't, you're literally, the problem is, is that you're not seeing it because you're not making it accessible. But I think our society is very out of sight, out of mind. So they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't see it. So why do, why does it matter? Like, I've, I've fought a lot in my professional um, world of making, you know, an ASL interpreters. Well, why do we need to do that if deaf people aren't showing up? And I'm like, well, they're not showing up because they can't enjoy it. As someone who, you know, signs, but it is not an interpreter level by any means, um, I get thrown into a situation where like, oh, well, we could just have you help. And I'm like, no, <laughs> because I am not an interpreter. I can have a broken conversation. But that's like someone who has like uh, English, you know, like a Spanish one, like education trying to be an interpreter for someone who speaks you know whose first language is spanish it's the same situation and it's just like that's not actually making things accessible and like yeah it's great if we have a conversation about wheelchair ramps but if the bathrooms are not accessible then what are they not supposed to use the bathroom and like an argument that i have a lot with ada is ada is very under um very old and un outdated and so like that needs to be the bare minimum not the top like you meeting ada standards is like you're doing the bare minimum if you're meeting the ada standards yeah like there's so much more because ada standards for a wheelchair do not keep in mind the caregiver they do not keep in mind um a power chair and so like something that it like i've seen so many like accessible bathrooms that are not actually accessible for power chairs or they may be accessible for a person but not a person and a caregiver and that's not going to work for cer certain cases i like that you brought all that up because we as a kink community kind of pride ourselves on the levels of inclusivity we can create and like it's super great that people do what we do for like the queer community for the trans community and stuff but we have to be accessible for everyone in order to be inclusive you know that's the goal we have to not marginalize anybody by what we're willing to be accessible towards so i'm really happy that you brought that up and yes i i agree with your point i think that it takes something as simple as going to the club owner and and asking to bring up a meeting and and make changes you know because most for you know obviously there's outliers but most of the time people who run these clubs are pretty kind and good people and understanding because they started the club because they wanted a safe space that people could go and do these kink-esque proclivities at you know and they want to make the space accessible so i i want to encourage people to you know speak up and 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 make the change because if we don't make the change the change is probably not going to happen or at least it's not going to happen anytime soon you know yeah and i think like going building off that is it's really important for our allies to also step up yes um, because it's just like yeah like you're you're right we need to but you know it's exhausting being your own advocate you know and sometimes i feel that it's easier to advocate for others than yourself and so having people step up to when we're exhausted, when we're worn out of being like, hey, you know, pay attention. 
you know, like, um, like even within, you know, being an ally within our own community of like, you know, we're both like ambulatory to a point, you know, so we can access things that someone who's not, um, you know, that does depend fully on a mobility aid. And like having conversations of like, yeah, we can access this, but someone else who who needs these accessible, you know, these, you know, amended, you know, these things can't. And just being as much of an advocate for others as well as ourselves is great because like I've honestly been, have gotten to the point of feeling burnt out here in the Colorado community because I feel like my voice is alone in a lot of the screaming that I have been doing. <laughs> of like, hey, let's talk about accessibility. Hey, let's talk about why the hell does everything that's queer focused in the kink world have to be sex focused? Yep. Yeah, and I'm like, cause as someone who's a sex repulsed asexual, like that's not gonna work. Like I'm hella kinky, but I don't want sex to be a part of it. And I don't like the fact that all of the focus is at bars, which are not accessible are or sex focused areas, which do not get me wrong, are important. But when that's the only thing that we're talking about or have the accessibility for, that's not going to work for everyone. And it's exhausting because sometimes it feels like talking about this is just falling on deaf ears. Yeah, absolutely. I am so grateful that you brought up having our allies kind of take a, a better stand to help us because you know, any allies, their voices matter just as much as ours. And unfortunately, they can matter more in certain situations and certain circumstances. And it's equally important that the people around us who support us help us make this change as well, you know, be a part of that solution with us. So I'm really grateful you said that. Um, you also brought up about how everything that's like queer focused is also sex focused. And so I would love to use that as our transition into asexuality, you know, because you said that you are a sex repulsed asexual, I myself identify as a gray asexual. And so I would love to kind of shift gears and focus on that and its involvement with the kink community as well. And I think the way I wanted to start is just having you explain exactly how your asexual identity impacts your kink life. Like, what I've heard so for like my sexual my sexuality is I do not experience sexual attraction at all, and um or really a sexual a sexual desire like what people explain is that sexual desire sounds like to me is my desire for kink, like the enjoyment that I get out of my kinks sounds like what people describe sexual gratification as. But I don't get that out of like sexual acts. Like to that, to, to to me, sexual acts are repulsive. They shut me down. They make me uncomfortable. They sometimes make me physically ill. So with my kink, like I don't want sex involved at all. So going to events that have sex happening is a like huge discomfort for me. So it's hard for me to navigate this kink world because so many people find gratification through kink and sex which is absolutely valid but is it my experience so it's kind of makes me feel disconnected largely specifically from the kink queer community because it feels like 
trying to make connections as someone who is repulsed by something that's so large in our community, almost impossible. I definitely hear you there. Um, I have a really hard time personally, like engaging with people, especially the queer people in our community, because like you're saying, it's very, there's, there's a certain emphasis around sex, around penetrative play, around genital focus. And yeah, like the rest of our society focuses on that too. And it's just got a little more prevalence with the kink community. So it makes my um, personal practice hard. And something I'm curious about um, is how your asexual journey has affected, if it has affected any potential play partners. Would you say that you find yourself restricted or limited, or would you say that, that you don't see a difference? I see a strong like difference because it's like there. I've met people that have been interested, but as soon as I bring up that sex is off the table, or if it is on the table, it is in very, very specific ways and that there's a high possibility that it will be removed from the table. Like I've been told that I'm a tease, that I'm like, you know, not really kinky, that I'm a bad partner, that I'm a bad dom, a bad sub. Um, you know, insert <laughs> whatever like label you want to use. I've probably been called it. Um, and it's made me like, in a lot of ways, just not want to, you know, interact with the community, which sucks because like kink is such an important thing to me. Like my kink identity is to me is just as important as being queer, as being dis you know, disabled, being, you know, an activist, performer, like all of these parts that are me, being kinky is just as important. And it's kind of frustrating that I feel like I am kind of shut out of the community because of my sexuality. You know, when people talk about sex positivity, they talk about that as like, well, part of sex positivity is respecting people who don't want to have it. Like shaming someone for their sexual orientation is not being sex positive. No, it's it's not at all. And I'm really grateful that you highlighted that because it's a distinction that not everybody fucking makes, unfortunately. Um, and that really sucks. I wanted to also bring up the fact that it's not just within the kink community that penetrative sex, genital focus, etc., is holding such a prevalence. It's it's vanilla society as well. And so mm -hmm. I would love to hear being asexual just in this real world in the vanilla space out of kink how does that affect you in your life going to the doctor is always interesting um especially a new doctor because you know they have to ask the questions of like are what contraceptions are you using blah 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 and at the age that i am you know being in my 30s they just assume that i'm sexually active especially if they see me with my partner they're going to make that assumption and like having the conversation of like, well, I don't use contraception. And then they start going into the spiel of how dangerous that is. And I'm like, well, I use the thing that is the only thing that's full, you know, foolproof. Then I get the, well, nothing's foolproof. And I'm like, yeah, not having sex is foolproof. You know, like I'm definitely not. And like, you know, but also like, I still talk about, you know, I get tested because I do working in caregiving. I've been around bodily fluids. I've been around stuff. So I still get tested. I do some of the kinks I'm into involve blood. So I still get tested, stuff like that. So having these conversations that just because I'm sex repulsed and haven't been sexual in years, I still get tested because you can get certain STDs and STIs from non-sex interaction. 
it's just interesting and like interacting with the medical field as someone who's like I have don't interact with that world. I was in and I was in a show recently called Spring Awakening, which is about the sexual awakening of teens. And it's a beautiful show. But and there's a song called Touch Me, which is literally about the desire to be touched sexually. And it's a beautiful song, but that's what it's about if you listen to the lyrics. And then having conversations with my other actors who were allosexual about how this was a hard song for me to sing because sexual gratification is not something that I really experienced. So we had to switch the conversation from sexual pleasure or sexual gratification to pleasure in general, like pleasure of being touched, even non-sexually being the pleasure of being near someone, the pleasure of interacting with other human beings or with yourself and having the self-care, stuff like that. I'm equally sorry and grateful that you brought up the challenges that you face going to the doctor because as disabled people, it is already so fucking hard <laughs> to deal with the goddamn doctor. It's like the plague of my existence. And then to add the sex focus on top of that only makes things that much fucking harder than it already has been and already is. And so I'm, I'm really happy that you said that because that it drives me fucking bananas. Like I, I'm a performer. And so unfortunately, like I, I do have to do like general stuff now and then to keep my, um, my standing in the industry. And I think it's really funny because I've gotten really good at performing for sex because it's just acting at the end of the day. So I still have to get like SCI tests and stuff. And then even then, like I'll get a full panel test and I'll do my little trach swab. And my doctor, the last time I took that swab, was like, wow, your partners must be really happy in reference to my gag reflex. And I was like, ha, jokes on you. I don't fucking do that, you know? <laughs> um, it's just like, but again, it's 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 just tracing back to grand assumptions that people are making towards others. And I think that that's really unfortunate. I think deductions are appropriate to make because to deduce something means that you're using contextual evidence to come to your answer. But an assumption means that you're taking fuck all and just and just throwing something out and hoping it sticks, you know, so that, yeesh. Well, was, yeah, there's, a, there's already, like, you know, like, it, I, don't, I understand why doctors have this view of, like, queers being hypersexual, and because that's what's, like, kind of been shoved down our throats for, for a long time. Uh -huh. um, and then especially if I la label myself as poly, they, like, make the assumptions, um, and you know like being poly is asexual i get a lot of people going like well what's the point of being poly and i'm like well i fall in love with multiple people and like that's why i'm poly <laughs> and people just don't get like well what's the point of being poly if you don't have sex and i'm like there's a lot of reasons but okay yeah. <laughs> there are so many fucking reasons and it's about it's about so much more than just fucking sex oh my gosh yeah, well, it's, it's speaking of performing, like I used to do drag and there's so much sex focus in drag, but I digress. <laughs> and one of my, I did a, I did a drag number to, um, special from Avenue Q, which is sung by a prostitute. And I did that number and a lot of my friends were very confused on why I performed that show really well, like that song really well. Because they're like, how can you do that song as an asexual? And I'm just like, because it's acting. <laughs> yeah, it's performative. 
I'm just like, I I know how to play the part. I've been acting for most of my life. I really do a very good job at playing certain roles. But that doesn't mean I'm going to be comfortable with a lot of it, with like everything. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're closing out our interview, I like to end everything with the same question. So I ask this to everyone I interview, and I do it because I think it's really interesting asking everyone the same fucking question and they have never the same answer and i think that's so neat and i think it's going to be really cool for people as they're progressing through this first season and and seeing this and um so i'd love to ask it to you and it's a you can take this as broad or as as focused as you want you also don't have to have an answer okay okay cool so what is something that you think we could improve across the board within the bdsm community um, we've already talked a lot about like inclusivity, like and diversity. Like it feels like we need so much more discussion about making things inclusive, making things more diverse, not having so much of it being so, you know, cis, straight, you know, able-bodied, however you want to use those words. Um like just being very bland and seeing more color in both, you know, in the actual like meaning of color, but also just more disability notice, more queerness, more and like not in all forms of queerness, not just the gay male or the gay, you know, female, but having more covers about trans, you know, the just large umbrella that falls under trans, the large umbrella that falls under queer, just having so much more diversity. I'm glad that you brought that up again, because I don't think we can ever say it too many fucking times. And I love that you brought up bringing in more than like the gay male or the gay female. Like there, there, it's, there's such a wide fucking spectrum that we're missing here. And as a, as a transgender fucked human, <laughs> I am very partial to that point. Um, I'm very aware of, of the lack in representation I see, which is part of why I make the art I do. It's part of why I do projects like this podcast and stuff like that is because I want to create representation in the community in whatever way I can. So I'm really grateful that we're really hitting this home today um, on inclusivity. And I hope that that sticks with the people listening. Um, That was a great answer. That was very eloquently put. Um, So thank you. And I also just wanted to say, like, it's been a real pleasure. I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning of the interview, but... um, you and I are total strangers. Like we haven't engaged in any prior fashion in any sense other than discussing your involvement in this podcast. And I think it's really cool that I've been able to interview you as a stranger because you're going to be the first um, non-related person to me in any sphere that we're including on the program. And you're part of one of the Colorado scenes. You know, I think that that's really important. And I think that was a really great place to start I think you said you've been in the Colorado scene for like 13, 15 years. It was a long fucking time. And so <laughs> it's a lot of insight that you are bringing with you. You know, you're you're coming correct with such solidified knowledge. Um, and so that was really cool. So I wanted to say thank you, Azuris, for your time and for doing this interview. This has been really illuminating. And I'm really grateful to have engaged in this dialogue with you. So thank you. And before we go, at the beginning of this episode, you had mentioned that you ran an inclusivity-based group called Glitter Queers here in Colorado. 
And I would love to just kind of inquire as to where interested people can find this group, whether on social media or in person who are interested in participating or supporting it. Um, absolutely. So at the moment we are just virtual. Um, we made uh, the last Monday of the month at 6 p.m. And you can find Glitter Queers Colorado on FetLife, and you can also find it on Facebook. I'm looking up what name I use on Facebook real quick. Okay, it's just Glitter Queers on uh, Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that's a really great resource that you do. It's really awesome to know you're a part of our community in such an involved sense. And I hope that anyone who's listening, who's interested, can find some sense of community there. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. You're welcome.